Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Good morning, church. Good morning. So I do have a word that I want to share with you this morning, and uh, <clears throat> quickly, I, I did. I went to Zach, I think about a week or so ago, and I just shared my heart with him that I believe the Lord placed a word on my heart. Um, and that it needed to be shared, or I, I, I wanted it to be shared, and I surrendered and submitted to, obviously, Pastor Zach and Ashley to ask them if I would, you know, have the honor and the privilege to be able to share this word, even though it's not his prison Sunday today. And uh, so I honor you guys. I bless you guys for allowing me to be up here and to deliver this word, you know, to HPC, to the body, the bride, and the church as a whole. Amen? Amen. Amen. So before I open up the word... I'm just going to give a quick little brief story, kind of show you where we're going. <clears throat> Nine years ago, um, I went to prison. For those of you that don't know my testimony, I'm not going to get into all of that, but I was incarcerated. And my brother-in-law, Pastor Jamie Casey from New Bedford, was the first man of God to share the gospel with me to plant the, the seed, the word of God in me, through me, and for me. God used him in a mighty way in my life, and I, and I honor him for that. And when I was incarcerated, we would have phone calls. We would uh, write letters. He came and visited once or twice, but most importantly were the phone calls and the letters. And in the phone calls, he would say to me, he said, even if, brother, for some reason... Stephanie and you don't work out in this difficult season that you're both in. Even if your kids don't get brought up to see you on a weekly basis in this difficult season and situation that you're in. Even if you don't make parole and you have to finish the entirety of your sentence in prison. Even if all of those things happen or don't happen that don't occur the way that you may want them to, will you still serve God? Will you still love him? Will you still follow him? Will you still worship him? And will you still praise him? Even if. Those words, those two words, even if, if we're putting a title to this message today, it is called even if. And after hearing those words and praying on them and seeking the Lord. While I was incarcerated in my prison cell, the Lord brought me to the book of Job and to the story and the life of Job. And we're going to get into that. And I put together what I thought back then was a sermon. <laughs> I was brand new in the Lord, didn't know much about theology or doctrine or even denominations at that time. I was just hungry and thirsty for the Lord. And he had me in my prison cell putting a message together, digging into the book of Job. And the title of this message was called Even If. And so nine years ago, I preached this message inside a prison to the men that were on a Sunday service at church. That was nine years ago. Today, I go back into the prisons, as you heard Pastor Zach say, and I go back into the same exact prison where I was incarcerated, and I preach, and I minister, and I pray the word of God to the men and the women that are locked up in the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. Amen. Amen. 
And so today we are going to be in the book of Job, and the title of this message is Even If. And so, Father God, Lord Jesus, Lord, I just come before you right now, Lord, with bowed, with a bowed head and humbled heart and my hands open, Father God. And I pray that same heart posture upon this body, Father God, that they're willing to receive what it is that you want to reveal to them in the book of Job, Father God, that they would hold fast to those two words, even if. Keep it, hold tightly into their heart, their mind, their soul, and their spirit, because we're going to get back to those two words in a little while. But Father, reveal to us, Lord, as we seek you and your word and the kingdom of heaven first, and all else shall be given and added to us, through us, and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book of Job is a very profound and unique book in the Bible because it takes place in a very obscured and faraway land called Uz. Job himself is not an Israelite. The author of the book of Job is anonymous, and he doesn't set the story in any clear period of ancient history. But for some reason, this all seems to be intentional. It's like the author doesn't want us to be distracted by historical questions, but rather to focus on the story, on the life of Job, and the questions raised by his experience of suffering. You know, some theologians and scholars say that the book of Job was maybe it was written by Moses or Noah. But we don't have that. We don't don't know that for sure. Again, it's man assuming and trying to, you know, dig deep into the Bible and use different reference points of historical times and everything, but we just don't know who wrote this book. But like I said just a moment ago, I believe that it's intentional because the Lord wants us to solely focus on Job's life and his experience of suffering. Job is one of three books in the Old Testament of wisdom, including Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. You see, the book of Job is a necessary balance to the book of Proverbs and to the full counsel of God. And what I mean by that, beloved, is that the book of Proverbs, it is a book of wisdom, divine wisdom. We all know that, right? We can go down the Proverbs, some of my favorites, where there is no vision, the people perish, iron sharpens iron. So a man thinks, so shall he become. And we can go on and on and on. But when we read the book of Proverbs, and if we solely read the book of Proverbs for God's wisdom in our lives, we would think or come to an understanding that good, only good things happen to good people. And, only, and bad things happen to bad people. Right? That's what we would think. The lazy will, will be poor. Right? The ones that work hard in labor will, will be wealthy. You know, the wise will prosper. You know, the arrogant, the ignorant, they will stumble. They will fall. There's truth to that. There is wisdom. We know we reap what we sow. If you do good long enough, a season and time will come where you will reap a harvest of good. Same thing with if you're doing bad. If you're putting bad out into the world nonstop, spewing that out, soon enough, Calmer is going to happen. You're going to reap what you have been sowing. So yes, don't hear me. I mean, don't, don't mishear me about the book of Proverbs. I'm not taking a dig at it. There's wisdom. There's knowledge there. But if you're seeking the full counsel of God, 
if you want to sit at the table that the Lord has presented before us with the word of God, and I believe the table he's presenting here this morning is a table for his bride, his body, to feast upon the full counsel and the full word of God. And who knows if, you, if, if you're going to have the full counsel of God and you're going to sit at a table and feast from the table, we can't just cherry pick what we want to feast from. We can't just eat the appetizer and then skip over to the dessert because yeah, I don't like that. That don't smell good. That doesn't taste too good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass over that stuff. I'm going to pass. Let me just pass over all adversity in the world. Let me pass over all pain and suffering, all trials and tribulations, all obstacles and hardship, all tragedy and death that can and will occur in this world. Let me pass over that. That's not the full counsel of God, beloved. And so this morning, I want to take a deep dive into the full counsel of God, into the book of Job. Amen? You see, the book of Job is set up in three literary parts of structure. It opens up with a prologue, which we're going to get into in one moment. And then a huge portion of the book of Job is a dense Hebrew poetry, which we'll briefly get into that. And then the ending of the book of Job is set up in the epilogue, which is the ending, which we will most certainly get to that. Let's dive right in. Job chapter 1. Verse 1, there was a man in the land of Us whose name was Job, and the man was blameless. He was upright, he was fearing God and turning away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men in the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one of his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. <clears throat> when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed against God in their hearts. Thus Job did this continually. So what the book of Job in chapter 1 right here is Job's character and his wealth. It's showing us who Job is as a man, right? He's upright. He's blameless. He's a God-fearing man turning away from evil. It shows his relationship with the Lord. He's got a good relationship. He's a godly man. He's wealthy. It showed us that, right? And he's also wealthy with family. He has a big family, a good family. And, and, and he intercedes. Hear me, fathers. And I'm sure all of us do. He intercedes every morning for his children just in case they sinned or cursed God. Just in case they sinned against God. Job intercedes for his children because he is an upright, blameless, God-fearing, turning away from evil, faithful servant of God. Now let's jump down to verse 6. Now it goes from here on earth, talking about Job, his character, his integrity, his wealth, his family, to now going right to the, straight to the throne room of heaven. And, and this happens quite often in the Old Testament, 
right? This image right here, being in the presence of God in the throne room of heaven. And let's see what it says. Verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around it. Now this shakes everybody's theology and doctrine. Why is God allowing Satan into the throne room, into the heavenly courts, and hearing, and hearing what the accuser and the prosecutor has to say? Because that's what Satan means in Hebrew, the etymology of the word. It means the accuser, the accuser of the brethren, the prosecutor that goes, that comes against us to prosecute us, to persecute us, the father of lies. The master manipulator, the deceiver that roams around like a roaring lion looking to devour, looking to manipulate, deceive, lie, steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has created. And that's exactly what Satan is looking to do now. But why is God allowing this? Verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job again? What, God? Like, yeah, I, I want you to think I'm righteous and upright and blameless and God-fearing man and turning away from evil, but God, if you're having like, a, you know, a convo with Satan, I'd rather you leave my name out of it if you could. What is going on here? But the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, blameless, upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. You see, God was proud of Job, but not in a, not in a fleshly way, not pride like how we are when we can get proud. It was in a divine way with wisdom and purpose, knowing that Job was so close to him. And so faithful. And saying, you're going to test me? Nine. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. The deceiver, the manipulator, the liar. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Jesus. Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Verse 13, Satan allowed to test Job. This is where we're going right now in verse 13. Satan was allowed to test Job. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them and the Sabians attacked, attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have came to tell you. In one moment, In one afternoon, Job lost all of his possessions and all of his wealth. But what's about to happen next is much, much worse than that. Eighteen. And while he was speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Not only does Job lose his wealth, and his possessions, now he loses his family. He loses his children, seven sons and three daughters. In one moment, they're gone. So what does Job do in this moment of suffering? What is an upright, blameless God-fearing man that turns away from evil do in the midst of evil, in the midst of trials and tribulations, obstacles, hardships, tragedies, and even death. What does Job do? Verse 20 says, Then Job arose and fell, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. So he arose up when he heard this news. He tore his robe off of him. He shaved his head. And what does it say? He fell to the ground and worshiped. He fell to the ground and worshiped. He didn't fall to the ground and curse. He didn't run and scream and curse God. He didn't go and cry and hide in a corner even though he had every right to. An upright, blameless faithful, God-fearing man turning away from evil. He arose and he tore his robe off of him. He shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped God. He praised God in the midst of his suffering and grieving and his loss. He chose and surrendered and submitted to the Father to worship him even in his most difficult times. Even in his most horrific circumstances and dark, deepest moments, he worshiped God, as should we, beloved. As should we. Why did he tear off his robe and shave his head? Maybe symbolically he knew that naked he came into this world with a bald head and naked and bald he will leave. But my brother Shane Heatherson over there, after first service, shared something so profound, brother, with so much oil on that. He shared with me uh, in uh, Hebrew the etymology on what the root of, of shaving your head meant back then. And it was to overcome an enemy. It was defeat an enemy. 
The enemy was Satan that was attacking him, even though God allowed it for some reason of divine purpose and wisdom. But he shaved his head and he tore his robe off. The tearing of the robe was tearing off the garments to come before the Lord pure and wholeheartedly opened up, rendered, surrendered before him. So he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he praised and worshiped God. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Wow. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even after losing all of his wealth, his possessions, his family, he did not sin nor blame God. Chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them and presented himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Here it is again. Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about the earth and walking around it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless, upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Again, our theology and our doctrine turned upside down. What, God? You allowed Satan into the throne room to test you? And then you allowed him to incite you to allow this to happen to Job, an upright, blameless, faithful servant, God-fearing man? What is happening? To ruin him without cause, but not without purpose. To ruin without cause, but not without purpose. Jesus, help us to understand this, Father. Lead us, Father, for we not know it all, Lord, but you do. Show us your wisdom. Show us your divine purpose in our lives, through our lives, and for our lives, through the gospel and the spirit that you carry upon us. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. The deceiver, the manipulator, the liar, the roaring lion prowling around earth looking to devour and steal, kill, and destroy everything that God has created. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is your, in your power, only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sores and boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes, a broken piece of pottery. So not only does Job lose his wealth, his possessions, his loved ones, his family, now his health is being taken from him. What else more can a, a, a mortal man go through? 
and these sores and boils were like nothing we've ever seen before. From his head to his feet. And he's itching them and scraping them. And it says further along in scripture that so much debris and soot and, and ash and mud was in them. And then festering maggots and worms began to grow in them. And he had to take a broken piece of pottery and scrape it out. And scrape out all the nasty stuff that was in there. This is a very tough message, message to digest, church. And so, in something so tough, I'm going to try to shed a little light. A little light and maybe a little humor. Even in the midst of this very serious situation that Job is going through. About something that I went through. Nothing compared to this. Nothing compared to this. But in my flesh, in my humanity, it was one of my Job moments. And so I used to work for CBD, Capital Building and Design. Ron Eaton, he's an elder here. It's his construction business and company. It's actually across the street from the church. I worked there for 18 long months. Longer for them having me there, though, than for me being there. It was a blessing for me. Maybe a little bit more testing for them to even have me there. That's an inside joke. But needless to say, I stayed at the uh, shop one day and I was working. And they sent me out in the back to do some landscaping, some weed whacking. And so I took the weed whacker. It was summertime. It was about 90 degrees outside. I had a sleeveless shirt on, you know, work boots. And uh, I'm back there and I'm, I'm, I'm using the weed whacker. I'm going through. There's all this growth and trees and vines and leaves and grass up to my waist. And little did I know that behind CBD was a plethora of poisonous plants that they had stored there. Like a greenhouse of poisonous plants that I was there. And, and I'm highly highly, highly allergic to poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, and any other flower, plant, or leaf that is a, has allergy to it or has poison in it. I'm allergic to it. Anything that God made or Satan created that is allergic or has poison in it, I'm allergic to it. And so it was all over me, all over me, my face, my hands, my arms, my sides. And they were like, what in the world happened to you? And I was like, God, God, is it not bad enough that you have me doing construction in the summer, Lord? Now you have poison ivy stricken all over my body and I'm taking hammers and nails and cat's claws and I'm itching it during I'm wor in working hours because there's sawdust all over my poison ivy in the middle of the summer at 90 degrees. That's my Joe moment in my flesh. A little joke, a little, a shed a little humor and light to a very serious situation. God forgive me for even comparing my life to Job's. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, another difficult verse in scripture. Like it wasn't bad enough what Job was already going through. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Men, women of God, listen to me right now. We're going to cut Job's wife a little slack because she just lost 10 children herself. But I heard a quote from a theologian. 
I didn't pay no minds too much of putting his name down because he's a Calvinist. But, but I did think it was intriguing what he said. And what he said was that God didn't tell the devil to save Job's wife. Just Job. Everything else was taken from Job, but for some reason his wife lived. And so the theory behind this theologian was that Satan kept the wife there so she could put the last nail in Job's defeat. Because the, the, the power that a woman has with her words, the power that a wife has with her words is extremely powerful. It will either make or break your husband's trial and his tribulation and his obstacle. So women of God, edify your men, encourage your men, pray for your men, love on your men, but never curse your men. Never curse God. Jesus. <laughs> but he said to her, listen what he says to her. She tells him to curse God and die, but he says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. There's theology right there. Should we only accept God good from God, but not accept adversity from God? That's theology in its finest and richest moments coming out of Job's lips. He did not listen to his wife because the enemy will go after the weaker vessel. And listen, women of God, I'm not saying that that's always the case. But if Satan's going after the priest of the household and the spiritual leader, which is biblical order in the church, then he's going to go for you next to try to tear down your man when tough times come. And if he can't get to you, he's going for the children. And if he can't get to the children because they're covered by the blood of Jesus, then he's going for a family member. And then if not a family member, then a friend. And he doesn't stop until he's defeated. But we know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, came and defeated him on the cross. Jesus. Verse 11, now then Job's three friends come here. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. Job's three friends come, right? Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sophar. They come, and they come to sit with Job. They come to counsel him, sympathize with him, pray with him, and be silent, it says in Scripture, that they were silent with him for the first seven days and the first seven nights. Beloved, that was their golden moment being silent with Job and his admit suffering, being silent, the ministry of presence is what is needed when severe suffering, grief, and loss, and death come about. It's the ministry of just being present with someone. Listen to me, men and women of God. No one wants to hear after their loved one has passed or their children have passed or even facing serious struggles financially or whatever, but especially when loved ones is passed. No one wants to hear they're walking down roads of gold. Yes, we know they are. We, if we're believers in Christ Jesus, we know that. We hold that fast in our truth. That's what gets us through the suffering. It's believing in him, trusting in him, receiving him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the ministry of presence for Job's three friends was their golden hour until they opened their mouths and messed everything up. 
because then it opens up to the huge portion of, of, of dense Hebrew poetry, which is a dialect between Job and his first, his three friends, and then Elihu, the fourth friend that comes along. And the first three friends come at Job with all their theology, with all their doctrine, and let's even say their denominational differences, even though back then they didn't have that really. But they came with all of that stuff and telling Job why he sinned, why this is happening. Because you have sin in your life. You have to have hidden sin. Or if you don't, then your children sinned and that's why they died. You know there's pastors and, and leaders out there that say this stuff to people today? Bad theology, bad doctrine will hurt someone much worse. Now, there is a time for theology. Hear me. There's a time for doctrine. We need it. We have God's word. We stand on it. We have his Holy Spirit in us. But as a human, we are, we're not supposed to know it all. All of God's ways and knowing and will and his timing, his ways are greater than our ways. We know what it says. His will is beyond our will. And his timing doesn't always add up with our timing, but his timing is always perfect. This is a book of divine wisdom and purpose. Jesus, help us. And help me get through this message, Lord. Jesus. Not only does Job accept that God has taken his life as he knows it away and has a right to do so, he worships God though he grieves and suffers, showing that even when times are difficult, God is worthy of worship to be glorified by his creation no matter what. Whether we can worship God in our suffering Suffering is often the true test of our genuineness of our faith. Job passes the test and shows that though Satan has momentarily been allowed by God to test Job, God was not wrong about his original assessment of his faithful servant Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. This is a great truth that only the most mature and wise will ever learn this side of heaven. There is nothing wrong with owning things as a steward of God or an earthly manager of his possessions. But our problems come when we forget that we can't take material wealth with us to the next life. The true wealth of a good and godly character is worth more than diamonds or gold and it cannot be taken away from us. The Lord has gave and the Lord has taken away. Most will accept that we can't take material things to heaven and many will accept that sometimes we lose material possessions on earth. But few will admit that not only does God sometimes take away what he has given us, if we admit that what we have is from God's hand, but also that he will sometimes desire to take things away from us for his own good reasons. But he is our father in heaven and will, he will not hesitate to do for us what is best, no matter how painful it might be in this short term life that we live here on earth. May the name of the Lord be praised. And none of this that God has the right and sometimes the will to take away from us diminishes the glory and goodness of God who is at all times to be praised for who he is, for what he's done, and for what is still yet to come. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're coming back for your bride. 
Job 2, 1 through 8. Oh, excuse me. All right. Here's a quote that I came across. Uh, This is a pastor somewhere in North or South Carolina, Robert Hampshire. Cursing God enters into sin. When we start to harbor bitterness in our hearts for God or anyone else for that matter, we defeat the creator's purpose for our lives and we allow Satan and give him an advantage in our lives. We should never curse God. Job loses his wealth, his possessions, his children, his family. His wife turns his back on him, tells him to curse God and die. But he stays steadfast. And he does not sin against God. Beloved, turn to your neighbor, onto the right or to the left of you, and say, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen. Amen. Jesus. You see, in the midst of suffering, we must never lose hope in God. Never lose hope. One of the greatest statements of faith in all of scriptures is right in the middle of Job chapter 13, 15. Right in the middle of Job chapter 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Do you see the hot posture, beloved, of an upright, faithful servant, God-fearing man turning away from evil, even in the midst of all of his tragedy, all of his hardships and death that he has experienced through suffering? He says, even though you slay me, God, I will hope in you. Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to show you very quickly, beloved, how everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament, how everything in the Old Covenant points to the New Covenant, how everything in the Bible points to Jesus. How do we get from Job to Jesus? We'll turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, excuse me. Matthew 26, 39, from Job to Jesus. Jesus in the garden. Then he said to, no, excuse me, 39. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face. And he prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you see, beloved, the hot posture of Job and the hot posture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Even in this suffering, in my humanity, is there a way out of it, God? Can this cup pass from me? Can the cross pass from me? But let not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. You see, beloved, no one or nothing can steal your joy or your peace when your hope is in God. Never lose your hope in God. Never lose your hope in God. The word cup 
in scripture is often used to describe judgment or a great time of suffering. I think it's safe to say, church, that Job and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was in the cup of the Father. They were in the Father's cup. You see, the New Testament provides an answer to the question of suffering. God allowed Jesus to suffer pain and shame on the cross because God had a plan for humanity. If the Father allowed his beloved son Jesus to suffer the way he did on the cross, then why can't he allow a simple man such as Job or you and I to suffer so that the Father's purpose, his divine wisdom, may be accomplished in our sufferings, through our sufferings, and for our sufferings? The story in the life of Job and Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, reminds us that God has a plan in everything that he does. If you're writing things down, church, write this down. This is a little Holy Spirit application. It's not in the Bible, but the Lord clearly spoke to me and gave me this. There is a hidden world of divine wisdom and purpose behind every experience of human suffering. There is a hidden world of divine wisdom and purpose behind every experience of human suffering. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Job 38 Quickly, I'm going to just summarize this stuff. God, ne God never gives Job a direct answer on why he suffers. God shows up to Job. After the whole Hebrew poetry and dialect between Job and his four friends and all the theology and all the doctrine and all the views and all the statements and everything that came, now, and Job struggled, he wrestled, he doubted, he challenged God, but he never turned his back on God. He never sinned with his lips. He never wavered. And so God shows up in a whirlwind. He shows up in a whirlwind and he answers Job in divine wisdom and purpose through Hebrew poetry. And he goes down a laundry list of why he's God. He talks about the foundations of the earth. He talks about creating the sky, the universe, the cosmos. He talks about creating the land, the ocean. He talks about creating all the animals and not only creating them, but the birthing pattern, the grazing, the growing nature, everything. And he pretty much says to Job, where were you when I did all of this? You're going to question me on why bad things happen to good people? You're going to question me on how the, the universe and the planet and humanity and the wildlife and the plants and everything is ran? Where were you, Job? So he gives Job divine wisdom of his complex and elaborate creation of all of the earth and all of the universe. And then he skips over in Job 40, Job 40 and 41, briefly, God's power and divine wisdom shows in creatures. He talks about behemoth and Leviathan, that they are symbols of disorder and danger that exist in God's good world. These creatures weren't created or meant for evil, but they're not safe either. The point is that God's world is amazing, it's big, it's really good, but it's not perfect because of sin. Nor is it always safe. 
God's world has order and beauty, but it's, oh, but it's also wild and sometimes dangerous, just like these two massive, amazing creatures that God has created, even though Satan has gotten into one of them and used them to try to steal, kill, and destroy us. God does not create evil. Isn't that much like the world in life? It's big, it's beautiful, church. It's amazing, it's vast, it's deep, but it's not always safe. It's sometimes dangerous and out of order. Then Job 42, we go to the confession. We go to the confession of Job. In verse 42. And Job answers the Lord and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak and I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see You therefore, I retract and I repent in the dust and ashes. Job repents. He repents for thinking what he knew about God. He repents for questioning God, for challenging God, for doubting God, even though he never cursed him or turned his back on him. But God knows he gives us grace and mercy because in our humanity, he understands through suffering what will happen. And so God speaks to him, does not give him a direct answer on why he suffered, but gives him divine wisdom and purpose on why suffering happens to good people. You see, beloved, repentance, forgiveness, and prayer. Wisdom comes from fearing God and turning away from evil. Verse 7, Pastor Zach shared something last week that was confirmation for me in this word. And he shared about how his father-in-law, Ron Eaton, said that the biggest deficit in the church is hearing God's voice. The biggest deficit in the church is hearing God's voice. And when you hear God's voice, what are you going to do with it? Humbly, but boldly, what are you going to do when you hear God's voice? And so I believe that God spoke to me in this message. He wanted me to communicate something that is difficult to digest, but he wanted his bride, he wanted the body to hear this. God was displeased with Job's friends. Why was God displeased with Job's friends? Especially the first three friends. Elihu, not so much. A little better understanding, but didn't have it dead on point because none of us do. He was displeased with Job's friends. Why? Listen, seven, it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take yourself seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves and my servant Job will pray for you for I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what was right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job. 
And so the Lord showed me that just like the Lord was displeased with Job's friends because of their poor theology and doctrine, because how they came at Job and thought that they knew what God can do, what he can't do, why he can do it, how he can do it. Isn't that much like the church today? Not directly this church. I'm talking about the global seed, the big church. Isn't that much like the church? We can, we can, only speaking in tongues back then. The gifts are ceased. No, we can speak in tongues now. No, the, the apostolic movement is dead. No, it's not. Denominational differences on who's right, who's wrong. All it does is cause separation. It causes division, which builds up bitterness, anger, and hatred in God's bride and his body. And let me tell you something, beloved. The Lord wants to come back for a spotless bride that's upright, a God-fearing bride, not worrying about what man says, but fearing God about what God says. God was displeased with Job's friends. And I believe God is displeased right now with the wholeness of the church. He's displeased. And the only reason why we're still standing is because he sent someone to intercede for us. He sent someone to forgive us, to pray for us. He sent someone to the cross so that we could still be here and worship God and reconciliation with the Father. To have a Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to have the Holy Spirit within us. But there's going to be a time that's going to come, church. This is what the Lord showed me. There's going to be a time that's going to come where theology and doctrine and denominations and I have no place to stand. All we're going to have is the cross the empty tomb in the upper room to stand on. And so we have time, but I don't know how much time to get our stuff together, to repent, to forgive, and to pray for our friends that do us wrong, for our friends that we don't agree with, for the other denominations and theologians and people that teach the doctrine, pastors and other leaders that use these things to split and divide. <laughs> repentance forgiveness and prayer we have time I just don't know how much God restores Job's fortunes Jesus you see the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends and the Lord increased Job twofold you see, God used Job as a high priest to intercede for his friends that, were, that spoke poorly about God and mistreated him. You see how Job and Jesus, there's a correlation, there's a connection. God sent us, Jesus Christ, our high priest, to intercede and forgive and pray for us. And we should do the same for everyone else that may think they know everything about God. That think they know everything how God maneuvers and works and what his will and his ways and his timing is. Let me tell you something, beloved. If God did not answer Job in the middle of this book on why he suffered, then how could a mere man with any degree, master's, uh, doctrine, any degree, stand behind a pulpit and tell you why? 
exactly why or how or when God did this and why he did it. We can have communication and conversation about it, but to split ties, to split differences denominationally, theologically, and doctrinally is not of the Lord. Really quickly down here, verse 12. The Lord blessed the later days of Job more than the beginning. The more the Lord blessed the later days of Job more than the beginning. Stand up with me, beloved. Remember the title of the message, even if. Even if. Even if we go through the worst circumstances and the worst trials and tribulations, obstacles, tragedies, and even death of family and loved ones. Even if we're going through a divorce or an addiction or incarceration or there's spiritual bondage, depression, shame, whatever else is tied to it. Even if those things are happening to you, beloved, will you stand here today and come to this altar and bless the name of the Lord? Will you worship God? Will you praise God? Will you serve him? Will you love him? And will you follow him even in the midst of your sufferings? If you will, would you come up here? There's still time. Come up here to this altar. Worship God in the middle of the suffering. Worship God. Praise Him. Let's pray together. Let's repent together for the church. Let's forgive together. Let's pray together for our Lord and Savior. For what He's done. For who He is and for what's yet to come over his bride and over his body that there is divine wisdom and suffering behind every human experience of suffering worthy to be praised and when i finally see your face i cry worthy and when you wipe these tears away, I'll cry worthy. Oh, above every other name, Lord, you are worthy. And I'll never stop singing your praise. 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 And you still deserve it. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy of my song. And I'll pour out your praises in blessing and breaking. You're worthy. You're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy of my song. I know we're running out of time. Church is over, but for the people that are up at the altar right now, 
If you want to continue to sit up here and worship and praise the Lord for a few more minutes and any pastors or prayer team or elders that are here that want to come through the body and pray over the beloved, now is the time. I hope you guys are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.